Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Christian Mader. Welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. It's a cliche now that everyone has a brand. Drawing boundaries around who you are, what you do, and maybe just as importantly, what you don't do, isn't just for selling toothpaste anymore. It's what people do. They trademark their identities. Branding, of course, has its own professional standards that vary from industry to industry. How you sell yourself as a musician is very different from how you might sell a car. The language and vocabulary are different. What matters to customers or audiences is different. And those languages might be different in different places, just as they are in different industries. But now markets are merging together. We have the power to reach the world, but that also means we have to compete with the world. Like anything else, this gets even weirder in the COVID era. We're all digging for gold virtually now, and for industries that rely on personal connection, the detachment can be challenging. My guests today are hacking their own ways through this brave, newish world, sorting out how to sell a brand in a collapsed economy and on a shrinking map. Musician Dustin Luke has made a career for himself on the road for two decades now. His brand of artful folk has been accompaniment to a hashtag van life approach to his career. Unlike many independent musicians, he's actually managed to build a gainful one on top of deep connections with an audience scattered throughout the country. Since the pandemic, he's pivoted to virtual performances to keep on trucking. Dustin, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Christian. Jackie Russo is a branding strategy guru and co-owner of Brand Russo, a multifaceted marketing and branding agency based in Lafayette. Brand Russo serves a diverse base of clients from, her, from all four corners of the United States. Jackie and her husband, Michael, the firm's chief creative officer, have developed a unique approach to branding that kicks jargon to the curb and hones in on relating co- consumers to her clients. They call it Razor Branding, and Jackie hosts a successful podcast about it, fittingly called the Razor Branding Podcast. Uh, Jackie, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me. Wilson Savoy is a Grammy-winning Cajun musician, best known as the leader of the band The Pineleaf Boys. Although he's reached the pinnacle of success, Wilson, like Dustin, has also turned his back on a nationwide professional musical career and chooses to sacrifice the highs and lows of life as a full-time musician to continue living in Lafayette, building houses. Uh, but Wilson is discovering that you can only turn your back on the wider world to a certain extent. Things aren't quite that simple now. Case in point, this year's uh, festival, Acadian and Creole, which went online, and Wilson was involved with that. Wilson, uh, thanks for being on Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me. So, Dustin, um, you started your career in the music industry, uh, you know, kind of when it was already kind of in flux, right? I mean, like, I mean, that, that this was 20 years ago. It's not like the industry was was you know, on the way up at that point. Um, but you kind of, you made a decision to, to, to leave like a major label and, and do this independently. Um, and, you know, so I'm kind of curious, you know, like sort of in this era, right, we're, we're dealing with Spotify and streaming services. It's actually made it more difficult for musicians to make money off of selling their music, right? So you kind of lean in 
to live performance. So I'm thinking, all right, well, that seems to be going okay. And then COVID happens and makes that whole arrangement really, really difficult. Like, you know, doing the living room performance thing kind of goes out the window. I mean, how are you actually making this work, considering it seems like you actually did a, a great job of building a career that a lot of musicians aren't able to do, right? Which is actually on the backs of your work touring these days. Well, well I came along in the generation making records at home for the first time, you know, and I was in Brooklyn. I, I'm from Louisiana, but I moved to Brooklyn. But, you know, the first time you can digitally make a record, you had 64 tracks as opposed to your little four track. So I came up with that generation as the record industry was dying. So I was kind of the last era of the record deal. So I, I don't live with that illusion that um, if I get signed, my life is going to be complete. So that helps a lot. So there's a lot of work that goes into what I do and that I've always done. And like Wilson, I know Wilson builds, he's real handy. I love other things too. And I've always loved, including in Brooklyn, I used to work for my Hasidic landlords. They used to paint apartments. They were buying up Williamsburg. <clears throat> so I always loved design and that sort of thing and had a knack for it. So I've always dabbled with that. And fast forward, when I lived in New Orleans, I would I bought a house and renovated it. and. So I've always been able to make money and keep my music precious, keep my, my career and my, my view towards being a musician precious because I don't really identify with being a musician. I don't identify with people that play the big shows and stuff. I, that's not me at all. So it's, it, it definitely puts you in a different place um, trying to, to feel successful yourself. You know, you, you know I, I don't want anybody's career. I want my own. So it's been challenging. It's only till now that it's starting to feel sweet. And it's still, I work a lot. It's a lot of work. It's not, you know, nobody's making me a cup of tea and, you know, giving me massages backstage. It's not that, you know, I'm not, that's not me at all. I'm not trying to do that. It's not available to me. So, you know. Are you still working a second gig or I mean, well, maybe... here in Lafayette, you know, that was another reason I came to Lafayette. I sold my house in New Orleans. I had bought in the St. Rock Bywater area. I was really excited coming from Brooklyn that people were moving to New Orleans and that potentially a new music scene could happen or a new art scene. Cause I was in the early Williamsburg scene in Brooklyn and that came and went pretty quick. And I, you know, I was schooled on gentrification living in New Orleans, in uh, New York. Uh, so then I came to New Orleans and then quickly I realized the same shit was happening in New Orleans um, where people were buying, investing and not living in the community. So um, I went through a life change in New Orleans and I decided to give up my house. And uh, that's when I bought the van. You know, um, people kept emailing me. You know, I, I just was I was making records and selling songs to film after my label years. I was luckily a few music supervisors loved me. And they were buying maybe three songs a year. And um, so you can make decent money that way, or at least in that particular time you could. So uh, so I loved it. I could make records, which is what I love to do more than sing and, and play live. Um, so anyway, Lafayette, fast forward. Um, I'm, I'm Cajun, and, and I met Margaret Hebert in New Orleans, who's from here. So it kind of introduced me to Lafayette. And I grew up Cajun, but outside of New Orleans, and we didn't grow up the language, my grandmother spoke French and broken English, broken French. My dad spoke very little. The, 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 the language was dying, the culture was dying, but we didn't have like uh, Michael Doucet's and Savoie families and people making music, Cajun music or original 
music where I'm from. We, we liked Fads Domino and maybe, you know, some people in my family picked the guitar, maybe sang some Hank Williams. But as far as like being an artist and writing songs, you know, I had an uncle that did, would send songs to Nashville, poor guy, and I would watch him. They would send these corny versions. You know, we recorded your song that they probably had to pay for to send to Nashville. They probably stole his songs, you know. So I got introduced to, to all that, but we, um, we didn't have like um, anybody waving a cultural flag but me. And that was after I moved to New York and I decided I was gonna make music as a non-musician. You know, I was gad. I would come home to Louisiana, gather audio files, and interview people. And I was trying to like lather myself up culturally. I realized living in New York that wow, we're something. My little my little accent that I was embarrassed about, it's something. It's okay. So I began to get really strong in that. So uh, fast forward years of being on my own, trying to be a cultural artist, using drum machines and all the things that I like to use. I'm here and um, the lifestyle is a lot easier, it's cheaper. So, you know, all that is a smart decision for me to continue to create my safe life to where I can continue to create the music I wanna make and find the career. Um, but then, you know, I do housework here too. I paint, I build things. I'm not, I'm not a builder like Wilson, but I, I can repair stuff and help, you know, lawn and gardens and, and painting. I love that stuff. I love being away from, from the creative work too, you know? Yeah. Wilson, I'd like to bring you in here a little bit because I mean, something that Dustin just touched on, right. Is his sort of passion is making records, right? I feel like, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong here. Like when I think of a lot of Cajun music, it's really about the live experience, right? I mean, it's a high touch culture in terms of the way we get together. It's a high touch culture and the kind of music that you guys play. I mean, I'm curious how this actually affects the way that you present what you do, right? I mean, like if you're telling people to the extent that you can have a live show, come see the Pine Leaf Boys, come see Wilson Savoy, like you have to, it feels like you kind of have to, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of market what the music is and what the culture is, it does differently. Does it just, is what we're dealing with now really changing the way that Cajun music is sort of presented to the world right now? Well, Cajun music for us has always been a world music and a lot of our audience doesn't live here anyway. So if anything, I think COVID has opened up music for more of the world than it was before. People are doing live streams now and that's been real profitable. We started doing that right at the beginning. And, um, at first, there was a lot of money to be made. You could play for an hour on a live stream and all your friends and fans from all over the world would pitch in 20, 50, sometimes $100, sometimes crazy amounts of money because they were so into just helping out Cajun musicians. And that was really big at first. And then, of course, as we continued to do it and time went on, um, they kind of got tired of pitching in as much money. But, um, you know, one thing about being a musician, like Dustin said, you, know, you always have to be uh, adaptable. You can't just only rely on that only. And I think having other skill sets and talents helps a lot. And I think those musicians that were somewhat prepared and diverse were able to get through this a little bit easier than those who only invested everything they have into their music. And um, I've always said, never put all your eggs in one basket. So I think it's important to to have something else to do. But as far as playing Cajun music locally, that is almost completely stopped, that no one is doing that right now because uh, a lot of our supporters, there's no dancing allowed. That's one of the big things that, uh, I just opened a restaurant called The Hideaway in downtown Lafayette. We have live music, but dancing's not allowed and you get a lot of people coming, they wanna dance and you tell them no dancing and they get really mad at you. They don't wanna be there, they, you know, 
And sometimes we just give up and they just go out in the parking lot and dance. So it's whatever, you know, uh, but as far as having live Cajun music, it's been really difficult and there's no money in it right now locally. If it hadn't been for Facebook Live and things like that, uh, I think a lot of musicians would have given up a lot sooner. That's interesting. I mean, Jackie, I kind of want to bring you in here um, for two reasons. I mean, one, you know, I, I know that what you guys did, obviously, it seems like you must have taken somewhat of a hit from the pandemic, but you guys are also pretty well diversified in your, your client portfolio, right? And, and geographically, so I'm sure that helps. But something that Wilson sort of touched on is the idea that something really beneficial for them is Facebook, but I don't know that Facebook and Google have been particularly kind f- to the brand and marketing industry. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, how have things been going for y'all? I mean, have, have you found that sort of this reliance on Facebook streams and like what, what the, the power that's sort of being afforded, you know, social media giants is, is, you know, helpful to what you guys do or no? We were incredibly fortunate. Um, for us, you know, that initial shock in March was first of all, sitting our team, uh, we had just hired three or four new people uh, in the few weeks right before the shutdown and was sitting everybody down and saying, it's going to be okay. If we have to, you know, take money out of our savings account, we're going to make payroll. We're still going to be here. Everybody just take a breath and do the client work because that's, what's most important. We have to make sure our clients survive because they survive, we survive. So don't worry about us, take care of them. And so it was going client by client and helping them find their pandemic pivot. You know, we took fine dining restaurants like Rafino's and turned them into curbside pickup places. Well, I mean, I love Rafino's, but I'm not paying $50 for a steak to eat in my kitchen. It's just not the same. And so to be able to help them take that same Rafino's experience home, figure out how cotton candy, which is what they give at the end of the meal to everybody, how is that going to keep in a bag? You know, it's, it was thought, thinking through those little bitty details. How do we still sell the experience of having five waiters and waitresses at your beck and call when it's a to-go bag at the island, you know, in your kitchen. So it it was some changes like that. And it was everything from our our B2B clients to our hospitality clients. Luckily, we are diversified across the country. Um, Fortunately, we're able to help every client find a pandemic pivot, um, except for one who was just completely shut down by the government and not allowed to operate at all and are still not able to open seven months later. Uh, But everybody else, we found a way through it for them, which was great. The next thing we did was figure out what our own thing was going to be. How are we going to adjust our processes? And so we took what had been an audio podcast that was just, you know, it's 6,000 subscribers and people listen to it sometimes. It was mostly me just talking for like 10 minutes, which is a quick little hit of a thought. Uh, And we turned that into hour long live Facebook on YouTube interviews where we took companies here locally and around the country and said, how did you adjust? What did you do? Because maybe that's what somebody else is looking for in terms of inspiration. And we saw in a matter of, gosh, it was maybe two or three weeks, we were tracking 15 and 20,000 views at a time. And so all of a sudden we were able to help those businesses get the word out. And they weren't clients. I mean, a couple of them were, but for the most part, it was just people that I would read about or hear about. They had found a way to adapt. And I wanted to tell that story because I knew it would give inspiration to somebody else. And I mean, that's how we survived. So it's interesting, really, the idea of a pandemic pivot. And it wasn't that long ago, right, that we, I think, talked about this sort of like, all right, hunker down, everybody, it'll be okay. But but now it feels like there's a degree to which, you know, some of the things that we're dealing with socially are, are things that will be around. So, so I guess I'm, I'm curious, I mean, to what extent, this question I would ask each of you, you know, to what extent is 
what you've had to do pivot wise, really something you're digging into the reality that you're going to have to do it permanently. I mean, or, or maybe there's an advantage to that even like something that you've discovered here that you're saying, you know what? I was forced to do this because of this uh, extenuating circumstance, but you know what? I think this is actually better for me in the long run. Well, I think the glass is full. That's how I've always looked at it. It may be full of water. It may be full of air, but it's full of something. And so I feel like we always have to be adjusting and adapting in life. Um, Whatever we get handed, there's your opportunity. What are you going to do with it? And so, you know, here at the agency, we really kind of uh, vibe off of a a quote that Marty Neumeier put in the brand gap decades ago. Uh, What he said was, a brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or organization. Um, And we take that a little bit and change it to emotional connection. So the brand is in the heart of the beholder. So everything we do, whether it's, you know, business as usual or these massive pandemic pivots, it's about how do we connect with that target audience and how do we serve their needs? Because that's how you're going to build a brand. And so, you know, whether it's a musician who's connecting with them through their music or a business that makes widgets, at the end of the day, we're all just trying to help somebody. You're listening to Out to Lunch Acadiana. I'm Christian Mater. I'm talking with brand strategists Jackie Russo and musicians Wilson Savoy and Dustin Luke. Dustin, I mean, what's been your pandemic pivot and is this something that you're going to keep permanent? Um, I went from feeling like I was way behind to almost in the front because I, I don't play in venues and I, I don't do things the way you're supposed to do in music. So I've already connected like, you know, face to face with everybody who writes me um, emails. So I've, I've developed relationships with everybody and that's how I travel across the country. So, you know, the only thing that's really changed is our embrace of, of zoom and playing live. You know, my Margaret, who I play with my wife was trying to force me to, to play a zoom show. And it didn't really feel like a, yeah, it felt kind of weird to do it. But as soon as we did it, I realized I see people's faces and I realized we were providing a service. People would cook on Sunday nights and we would play music. And um, so that quickly changed. And, um, and as well for Margaret too, she teaches at home on zoom and like we quickly adapted. So that's, you know, all these tools that were around before that we didn't really take seriously. So that's kind of cool. You know, I like it. I like um, obstacles too. I'm like, a, I've been having obstacles my whole life. I don't, it's not like I like this situation. Don't get me, don't take me the wrong way, but I'm used to having to pivot. Like, I feel like a little running back, you know, like <laughs> what's coming at me next, you know, cause it's not an easy road to, to be an artist, but you know, I read an uh, interesting quote this week about, you know, artists and I can't, you know, recite the quote, but it was, it was talking about guys like Picasso and artists of every era. Like we're foolish to think and, and humans too, man. Like, look, we just went to, the um, DeMille Museum in Houston and the first artifacts we saw were 15,000 BC. And you could kind of see, you know, the journey of man. And like, who are we to think that this is any different than what, uh, you know, the humans have had to face in the past. It's, you know, here we are, poor us. Like we we need to adapt. We need to live where we are and and work hard and be good and, and learn from, you know. But surely, so Wilson, I kind of throw this at you. I mean, surely, yeah, look, these pivots, they make sense. Um, you know, that the, they, they can work in the near term. I mean, you can be really heartened by the fact that people show up for a live stream. But I mean, sometimes I, I kind of see these things and I think to myself, like, is, are people really going to want to do this for another two years? I mean, at some point, you know, somebody's going to say, I don't really 
get what I want out of a, a live stream performance, let's say, or go into the hideaway lounge and, and having, you know, wanting to dance and not being able to, I mean, do, do you feel like some of the things that you've had to do, I mean, are, are they going to stick around because they should, or, or, or is this something that you can't really keep up? Well, I mean, every day we have to navigate and change because uh, we have more information than what we did the day before. And I think all of us can say that about everything we do. Every day you have to reanalyze what you're doing. You might not want to do it anymore, or maybe there's no more audience for it. And you can be stubborn and keep trying to do things that obviously aren't working and you're not making money with it. Or you can simply adapt and figure out what's going wrong. You can, you can blame the COVID for it, and maybe that's the case. Or you can find other ways to work with it. Uh, there have been some positive outcomes of the whole pandemic for some people. Um, because they were able to twist things around and quickly adapt and, and make it work for them. As far as the music business, I have friends that are agents and so on and so on. And I mean, if they would have kept doing what they were doing back in March, they'd all be homeless right now. So they had to make a change. Uh, a lot of them moved to carpentry. Most of my musician friends now have started building houses and porches and things like that because there's a demand. Then the hurricanes came and that destroyed like Charles twice. And so a lot of musicians went out there and started donating and raising money for that. So um, it's, it's definitely made people like that have more time in their hands. As far as a playing live gigs anytime soon, I don't think it's going to come back. Even when they do allow dancing, consumer confidence will be so low for many years to come. A lot of people, because KG music, as you might know, attracts an older crowd and the older crowds are more, uh, you know, worried about COVID getting COVID. So it's going to take a while for what you used to see at the blue moon and places like that, where you'd have 150, 200 people smashed into one room. That's going to be a long time till you see that. And we don't know exactly how to deal with it right now as musicians. My income has always been from flying to a place for an airplane, renting a car, driving to a gig for festivals and all this. And that's not coming back. I don't think anytime soon. So day by day, I'm just figuring out ways. And I think my musician friends are too. How are we going to continue this? Obviously, Facebook Live isn't going to be enough to sustain. The money's gone down, down, down. I was talking to Steve Riley about that the other day. Uh, at first, he was making great, and he was making more money with Facebook Live than he was traveling out of state and playing gigs. And now it's hardly worth it at all to him anymore. So already you're seeing that dwindle. Uh, what's it going to be in a couple months? It's not going to be anything anymore, I don't think. So I think every day we have to figure out how long can it sustain itself, and are we just going to keep doing what we're doing, or tweaking things slightly to make it work and because we don't know when this is ever going to end so this is interesting because in a lot of ways you could look at some of these issues as being like a packaging problem you know like how do you you know tell people or sell people on the idea that this is not just it seems like what would, may have been orig originally beneficial right is people kind of come to this thinking like i want to help and so now you kind of have to convince them that no no this is the product and you want to buy it so, so jackie i kind of want to throw this at you i mean to whatever extent like you know you're a branding expert i mean do, do you see i mean maybe we don't have to limit this to music specifically but i mean certainly there are other industries that that, that enjoyed some sort of let's say like charity bump where people kind of wanted to, to patronize what they were doing because they believed that it needed to stick around so, so what's your advice to businesses, right, maybe in the service sector or in the arts, right, who, who rely on high-touch environments, uh, on how they can actually pivot in a permanent way to say, like, no, this isn't just, you know, a stopgap to a problem. This is actually a product that you want to buy right now. 
But I think we did see that in so many ways. Uh, we saw that with restaurants. Obviously, they went to curbside dining. We're seeing that here locally with Tsunami, who's never been open on Sundays in 20 years, but has had to go to Sundays to make up for lost days because of hurricanes and uh, protests and all these other things that kept them closed in their peak times. So I think businesses who want to stay in business, they will continue to find ways to pivot. Um, and the, the great opportunity that something like this gives someone is you may get introduced for the first time to a new product or service because of charity. So when everybody was saying, hey, let's buy local, let's, let's support local restaurants. So we, we frequented a restaurant we'd never been to before. We bought a gift card to a place we hadn't supported before. Well, now we are in a relationship. So restaurateur, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to keep that relationship going? How are you going to connect with that customer over and over again to keep them coming back? The opportunity is there. You just have to walk through the door and take it. So, Dustin, it seems like a lot of what you do or like a lot of what the live performance that you do is, is, is about the space in a lot of ways, like gathering people in those sort of intimate spaces. So, you know, I'm curious, like, it, it, have you found a way, right, to create some level of intimacy or something that's a difference maker when at the end of the day, you know, your performance will look a lot like what anybody else's performances do when you're dealing with a live stream, right? I mean, it's on, it's on somebody's laptop or their computer or their phone. I mean, we've noticed that Zoom, like we actually, you know, come up to the camera, to the TV and we talk to everybody. We, you know, somebody's cooking, like what you're cooking, like it's like, it's like we're all hanging in the same room. We're not talking about thousands of people on my Zoom at one time. So sure. I've been able to, um, to have those kind of interactions. It's pretty cool. Like we see what people are cooking. Look, it's not a perfect situation, but, and we don't do it every week anymore. I mean, we did it for 10 weeks straight and then we took a break to finish recording or whatever. But, um, you know, I found like if you space them out, I don't know. It's like different people can see each other from different. I can connect, introduce people from Atlanta and Jamestown, Rhode Island. And that's been really fun because I've always dreamed of having a show here in Louisiana where I invite all my hosts from from the road, which would be hard to get everybody in one place. But it kind of is a little mini version of that. So it's been cool. I mean, it's it's not in the same room and it's not in that beautiful space by the ocean. <laughs> You know, all that's a given, you know, but um, there's some positives. I mean, just the kitchen vibes, like people cooking, you know, it's, been, it's cool, you know. It's interesting that that seems like you're you're becoming a conduit to other people. Like, I mean, it's a different level of connection. You know, Wilson, earlier you mentioned that, that there was, you know, you're seeing a lot of your friends are going back or, you know, starting side gigs maybe they didn't have before. It strikes me like, historically, that's kind of what musicians do. They have other jobs, right? I mean, and that's that's kind of been more the norm, I think, over the course of history, you know, than maybe it was in the 20th century. I mean, is that really a threat to the work? I mean, it feels like that's just kind of in a lot of ways just how people used to do it. About having side jobs, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the old days, my dad and all of his friends, all the musicians that I've ever, I've ever known always had multiple jobs. You look at Dewey Balfa, who had like five jobs. He was a school bus driver. He was an insurance salesman. You know, he did so many things. And, and, and he's the most legendary Cajun musician I can even think of. At some point, a lot of musicians, I don't know when this happened, but they all decided, you know, maybe it was possible only to play music. And I remember, you know, I did one of these out to lunch with Danny DeVilliers um, about a year ago. And I remember there was a question asked about, 
uh, should you put everything into music? You know what I mean? Just like put your all. And if you want to really become a great musician and all that, put everything into it. And his answer was, yes, you should. But my answer was, no, you shouldn't. Uh, and a lot of people might not understand my logic behind that. But now I think it's more clear. I mean, if these musicians around here had just one other thing they could have done, this would have been a little bit easier. But the problem is now a lot of these bands that only relied on music are they even going to come back when this is ever over with? You know what I mean? There's so many bands that have moved on. They've all had to move on to get other jobs and things because at the last minute, they just weren't prepared for this. And I've always been under the mindset that you, you know, you simply cannot, unless you're brilliant and you're extremely popular and you can sustain a family uh, on music alone, you're, that's, you're very, very, very lucky. But I think, that's not realistic. And I think you do need something else. Uh, now that's not to say that those two things can't influence uh, each other. For example, doing carpentry, and I'm sure Dustin can uh, testify to that. Doing carpentry will influence your music and vice versa. They're both uh, a different way to express yourself, you know, with creativity. So I think having another job that somewhat relates to your, what you really want to do music that can actually work and, and benefit, you know, itself. So Jackie, I feel like um, you've been, you said the glass is full, right? I mean, you're not even talking about half. It's completely full. full half empty. It's completely full. The, the, the glass just has water or, you know, vodka in it, whatever the case or may air. be. The other half is or- there, which is important. So it's completely Okay, full. fair enough. But, but I, I, you know, I kind of want to put this to you. I mean, do you, in other words, you, you seem like an optimist or a pragmatist, however you want to put it. I mean, what is... You know, do you see an entrepreneurial solution here for this? I mean, like something that I think that these opportunities are exactly where entrepreneurs uh, earn their stripes. You know, I think about the pivots that companies had to go through, whether it was movie theaters using their parking lots to create drive-ins. So people like that drive-in experience. They love the idea of that. So we'll probably start seeing that happen on a regular basis, even when people are comfortable going back into movie theaters. You look at big venue spaces who turn their parking lots into outdoor concert venues, outdoor wedding chapels, um, drive-in concerts. I think that the seismic shift that's happening here is not that we're losing things. It's that we're gonna have to find new ways to still get those connections, that music, those concert experiences. I watched a part of the ACM Awards, I think it was the Country Music Awards the other night, and it was literally um, drive-in concerts and the performers during a live award show were performing to people in pods, you know, roped off areas in the grass. It's weird. It's not the festivals that I think of. I think of us all crowding in together, you know, right here in front of my office for Festival International. But, okay, we can't do that. How can we still get music? How can we still have that group experience? There's a way. And so entrepreneurs will find ways to do that. Uh, You know, Johnny Blanchard managed to run concerts at a rock and bowl by putting the band inside and the people outside in the parking lot. That's what entrepreneurs do is they find ways to solve problems. You know, it may be easier to think that the pandemic is the singular cause of all of the disruptions of the business world, of course, a lot of these things have been underway for a long time, you know, and adaptation is the key to success in basically any industry. And that's true when things are great. That's true when things are terrible. Um, you know, I'm really heartened, of course, to see that each of you guys are, are, are finding ways to stay, you know, diversified or figure it out, stay adaptable. Um, you know, so, you know, congratulations to the three of you. Um, 
Jackie, Dustin Wilson, it's been great talking to all of you. Thanks for joining me today on At the Lunch Acadiana. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Jackie Russo of Brand Russo and musicians Dustin Luke and Wilson Savoy. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on KRBS, and you can hear our unedited version and find out more about my guests by listening to Out to Lunch Acadiana podcasts. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast anywhere you get them and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media These photos were taken by Jill LaFleur, and you can find more of her photos at LaFleurphoto.com. We're going back to hosting Out to Lunch at the French Press soon. In the meantime, you can go there. They're open Wednesday through Sunday. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Christian Mater, editor of The Current, Lafayette's community-owned nonprofit newsroom, and thanks for joining me. For more great stories and conversation, check out thecurrentla.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter. I'll see you here again next week around our virtual lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 